So in this week's podcast, we're talking all about uh, predispositions for why we gain weight and where people get stuck and even just this dialogue around obesity as an illness, right? Yeah, it's an interesting topic because we always want to honor where somebody's at and the body image challenge that shows up when somebody begins to change um, how, how they look or how they perceive themselves. But I think it's really important to understand the underlying why behind everything in regards to our health. So I think it's such an important conversation to have so that we're not missing anything. Yeah, so in this uh, episode, we're gonna go through our own genetic uh, tests and talk a little bit about what, what are some predispositions that we have to be mindful of in this discussion of weight gain and metabolism, metabolic function and, and health span. Mm -hmm. And then hormone changes at the same time. Mm -hmm. Welcome to the Health Ignited podcast with your hosts, Dr. Nick and Sonia Jensen. We are partners, parents, business partners, doctors, yoga teachers, and retreat leaders. We promise to bring you real conversations to awaken and ignite your potential to live your best life possible. Join us each week as we dive into topics varying from brain health, biohacking, hormones, and longevity, to relationships, parenting, meditation, and more. Together, creating community and building stronger foundations for the generations to come. So this is a sensitive topic for so many people because uh, the amount of people that are stuck with weight loss resistance or creeping towards obesity, insulin resistance, you know, all the diseases of aging seem to coincide a lot with how we're holding weight on our bodies, right? Yeah, and there's, uh, we talked a lot about before how the hormones are changing and shifting in our different transition periods, especially in perimenopause, menopause for women, and andropause for men, and how that will also influence just where we're carrying weight, um, the challenge with like recovery, the challenge with um, trying to eat the same and do the same as before, but yet we have to keep adjusting because our weight is shifting at the same time. Yeah, and, and it's so confusing. There's so many complexities to, you know, why we get stuck in, in disease, why we gain weight, or why we're stuck in inflammation, or why we're um, you know, have a high likelihood of developing an illness because of we see it in our family line or we see it in our genetic lineage. But uh, you and I, you know, we we come from different backgrounds. We have we were you know male and female. We have different hormonal apparatuses. There's a lot that's going to come into someone's experience that's going to uh, perpetuate or be a predisposition for why people are getting sick in one area or another. And it's and I think where we get stuck in this world is we're looking for the the simplest reason, the simplest answer, which I understand why, because there's complexities of health, but we're looking for the one thing that can hit as many people as possible. So it's a very generalized approach to healthcare and we miss so much of the uniqueness of each individual when we just try to look for, oh, here's the problem, here's the solution. Like, mm -hmm. it doesn't, it never works like that. Yeah, no, we're just so unique in how we do life and mm -hmm. how we perceive life and how our body is functioning accordingly. And um, we talk a lot about Bruce Lipton's work mm -hmm. when it comes to epigenetics and how we don't have to be victim to the lifestyle or the habits or the diseases that come, came before in our families, but really we have choice in every moment to shift that. And the genes that will express themselves are according to our environment and what we're feeding that environment and then our bodies. Yeah. So, you know, it seems like as each decade comes by or maybe even every couple of years is a new trend around what's the perfect diet. Mm. 
And I sometimes find these conversations so boring because <laughs> boring. it's like, well, here we are. Well, here we are again, like mm -hmm. the diet that's going to be so perfect for each human. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, it gets really trendy and people jump on board and they do well maybe for a little bit. And then they find this too hard or stops working or there's all these, you know, breakdown effects. And then we kind of just throw the baby out with the bathwater and look for the next best diet, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. I, what a what a train wreck it is for, for the general population to be able to yeah. follow along with that. Yeah, because you don't know who to believe, what to do, and you try all the things and it may not work for you. So mm -hmm. it really goes back to know thyself, like know yeah. your body, your tendencies, your genetics, what's going to support your hormones so that you can make the best choices. And I think what happens is we talk a lot about diet variation mm -hmm. according to like seasons, according to season of life and stressors and all these things that will influence what our body needs. And I think what happens is that people are eating one way for so long yeah. and they all of a sudden change that way and they're going to get results no matter what, like no matter what type of diet it is. It's because now all of a sudden you've introduced variation to your body. Mm -hmm. Same thing with a workout. If all of a sudden you change what you've been doing, your muscles will respond to that. So I think then people think, oh, this is the one for me. And now they're stuck on this same diet again and then again hit a plateau and get frustrated. Yeah. So why, like, I, I'm all for simplicity and trying to make things as simple as possible and trying to reach as many people as possible. That makes sense because there's a lot of people maybe don't have access to education or the same quality of food. Like there's all these obstacles where I understand the desire to want to create a blanket treatment that works for everybody. Do you have something in your eye? Yeah, it's really <laughs> bugging me. Okay. Okay. Your eye's better? Yes. Okay. <laughs> so before before we got there, we were kind of talking about there's there's this desire to have a one-size-fits-all here's a problem here's a solution kind of thinking mm -hmm. which i understand that appreciate that um and yet like nothing really seems to work that way right like mm -hmm. is there any examples where there's you know you know in, in healthcare where there's a, a, a core chronic problem not acute because that's very different right i mean if you break and you're you fall and break your arm you know, the solution is to cast it up or to right. immobilize. And there's a there's a protocol that works. But for these complex chronic conditions, there, there really isn't a one generalized treatment, nor is there one pill that's going to fix all of these components. And one of the things that you talk so brilliantly about so often is just around the mindset and the belief systems and how much that just interferes with how our body is functioning, right? Yeah. Yeah, I think there's just so much that influences how our body is functioning, how it's digesting. I say this all the time and the listeners probably heard me like a hundred times say this, but how we digest food is a reflection of how we digest life. So it's so dependent on each person's ability to respond to life in a certain way mm -hmm. and access to food, access to um, information. Like there's so many variables that we don't always consider. And I think we look for that one size fits all because it's simple, because we're busy. It's hard to do the other way it's hard to know thyself and figure ourselves out and then we finally get into a rhythm say you're you have a family with like young children and you have a pattern in your mind of you know exactly what groceries to get you know what foods to expect so that it keeps you sane for that week when you're making the lunches and the dinners and everything so to have to sit down and shift all of that for each individual in the family i think will cause havoc mm -hmm. um, and a lot of different stress so I think finding a balance between it all is really important to like understand thyself and then know 
if something comes up, if there's a challenge in the body, we need to make some adjustments. Yeah. So the reason we're kind of getting into this because there was there's a lot of talk right now around sort of these two camps. There's a polarization in obesity, the whole discussion around it. And uh, on one side, there's this obesity is a genetic disease. On the other side, it's, it's all lifestyle factors, what you're putting in your body, how you're moving your body, the environment is dictating things. Um, right off the top, like, do you pick a particular side? No, I don't think I could. <laughs> Well, well especially it, based on everything we just talked well, about. Exactly. Right? <laughs> well, when I think about like us, right, we, we talked mm -hmm. about in the beginning, like we come from completely different backgrounds. So yeah. different lineages, different ways of eating and all of that lifestyle factors that got passed down through generations, male, female differences, like all of that's going to influence how my body or what my body needs mm -hmm. in accordance to food in order for it to thrive. So... I do feel like some genetics play a role in a sense of how I'm going to digest certain foods, um, what my susceptibilities are, and then if I know that, then I can make adjustments in those habits, because I think what gets passed down are the habits, mm -hmm. and then if we can adjust those, then we can adjust our physical form as well. Yeah, because there's, there's some pretty profound statistics on genetics in that 50 to 80, I think it's 50 to 85 percent of, of uh, individuals who have had parents that are obese are likely to also be obese. And I think it's just so easy and quick to say, oh, it's because of genetics. Mm -hmm. You know, I think that there's some troubles around this, even in the, the discussion around cancer, where everything was about, oh, it's, it's genetics. And now what we've understood more, you brought up Bruce Lipton, the power of epigenetics, how genes can actually be signaled on through epigenetic pathways or environmental control over gene expression. So when you hear those numbers, though, and you're sort of coming from that camp where, um, uh, where you truly believe that obesity is a genetically, you know, caused disease, like it's the number one cause, um, obviously with our history and the people that we see and work with, that's getting debunked all over the place because right. so much changes when we change our lifestyle. And yet, as you mentioned, there's all these habits, there's all these... Um, you know, ancestral ways of living that were absolutely necessary based on the environment that would have shown up in genetic predispositions, right? Mm -hmm. And that's also important though. So mm -hmm. I think, you know, how do we take these, this polarization and bring it forward in this individualistic, individualized care yeah. plan, right? Yeah. I mean, they've even done studies where a grandfather's diet at puberty will influence his grandson's outcome with metabolic disorder. Right. And I've talked before about Rachel Yehuda, who does the generational trauma studies with um, Holocaust survivors. Yeah. And there was a higher risk of the grandkids to have metabolic syndrome yeah. and diabetes. So, yeah, and that's a genetic piece that's getting passed down because mm -hmm. their inability for their adrenals to work properly or to metabolize and digest. And so all of that is getting passed down. But again, if you get knowledge that and start understanding that then you can make different decisions and lifestyle factors that will support your body where it is yeah and the same thing with the the aces study the adverse childhood events they, they see that people who experience early childhood trauma are more likely to present with cardiovascular disease obesity addiction you know uh, perpetuating the same behavior that they, they learned in childhood so it could be you know abusive relationships etc so yeah the that's that is something that is literally passed down and and to the point of genetics 
there's this predisposition that then uh, that environment is going to impact the expression of those, mm-hmm. those genes. Yeah. So, um, you know, as we sort of take this conversation forward, you know, what, what other sort of big things do you look at when you're, when you're working with patients to help them appreciate or help them understand all of these different components that are coming together affecting their health? Yeah, so I'll ask when they started to notice weight change. Yeah. Uh, I think that's an important factor. Or if it was always d- the tendency, maybe their body shape is a certain way, um, their constitution. So from an Ayurvedic medicine perspective, if you are more of a kapha constitution, there is a tendency towards um, gaining weight faster, mm-hmm. uh, depending on what you're, again, choosing mm-hmm. for your diet, if you don't know how you can balance that. So I think we do all have our set kind of body types and like where we may see changes. So if somebody, I'll just talk to like perimenopausal women, just because that's where the stage I'm at. If you're starting to see weight change and there's more weight gain around the abdominal area, we know that there's changes happening in your hormones. We know that your insulin sensitivity has gone down and you're more insulin resistant. And then asking toxicity levels. So if we look at our environment, this is for men and for women and all the toxins in terms of the xenoestrogens that love fat cells that will store get stored in your fat cells. They then will call in cortisol. So what are your stress levels? So there's so many different factors mm-hmm. that are going to influence um, just that resistance in the body to let go. Yeah. So what if we talked about this, um, uh, you know, concept when it comes to to weight loss or weight gain, in the sense that the body's actually starving mm-hmm. in in this sort of reality of obesity. What does that What does that mean to you? Yeah, nutrient depletion. Yeah. Yeah. So it's. Um, I mean, I always go back to the emotional piece. Um, yeah. I've worked with a lot of women where there's been a trauma and it was their body's way of protecting them and so there's that element and now i forgot your question right just just the the, the, (laughs) oh like the the concept of starvation it's like they're they're nutrient starved despite having excess caloric yeah you know reserve yeah right yeah so i think then it goes to looking at what is their dietary intake Mm -hmm. um so if it's a standard american diet there's absolutely nutrient depletion and when there's nutrient depletion, your thyroid isn't going to be working. Your metabolism will be slower. So all these functions that could thrive can't because they're not getting the fuel that they need. Yeah. And then on top of that, because there's an insulin overwhelm, the, the message that keeps getting reverberated or perpetuated in their system is that feed me more. So insulin being that high hormone of hibernation, it's constantly getting the message to store, 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 store. And, you know, in that mechanism, you're more likely to get a signal that I'm, I'd still need to store more nutrients. So you're going to be hungry faster. You're going to have more cravings. You're going to have more difficulty with food addiction. And, and, and then comes the conversation, well, you just don't have enough willpower. Right. You know, fix up your diet, fix up your lifestyle. Like, what's the gap there? Yeah. So I think that's a lack of understanding of what's happening in your microbiome. Mm-hmm. So if your candida is high and your microbiome is imbalanced, it's those bacteria that are actually creating those cravings because they want to be fed. Yeah. So sometimes it is out of their control. And then there's, there's that emotional picture. If something is giving someone comfort to help them feel safe, you can't just tell them to change their diet and all of a mm-hmm. sudden everything is okay. And there's that hormonal piece that we talked to as well when there's sensitivity levels changing. And that also is going to create difficulty 
And then we do create crave, I think, food when we're not satiated in life. So if yeah. there's this discontent, is that a word? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. It's a good one. It's a good one. Yeah. <laughs> we're not content with life. We're always searching. Yeah. Um, I also think that's going to show up in our habits with uh, with craving. So it's not just about. I mean, I do think mindset is everything, but there has to be a shift in your ghrelin and your leptin and your insulin in order for your mind to even be able to be like, hey, yeah, okay, today I'm going to choose a little bit differently. Yeah, and your cortisol too, right? Yeah. Like your stress levels. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, we were just actually having a conversation today about someone who's really needing to make some dietary changes and they they keep sort of saying the story that, oh, when this circumstance is better, then I will apply like a protocol. And, you know, on the outside looking in without saying anything, you say, oh, this, this person's just not motivated to take care of themselves. And I think that just like how we can feel the heaviness of shame because we're still stuck in the body that we're, we're disliking uh, or it's serving some sort of protective role. This, the same conversation come up around willpower and that, you know, we're always looking for the perfect criteria in order to make these changes now. Mm -hmm. You know, what, like, what sort of mindset might be uh, needing to be instilled just to start that first step? Well, I think asking the question why the block is there because mm. often there's some sort of fear like fear of changing habits fear of letting go of certain foods that are giving you comfort and safety and all those things we talked about yeah. so i think once you can name that then there can be different choices and then naming the why like why do you even want to change mm -hmm. um are you worried about certain diseases showing up are you wanting more energy are you looking at your body in a way where you realize there's so much potential but you haven't tapped into it so when you know your why then you can make those little choices those like asking yourself that question is this going to nourish me or deplete me and when i was talking to tommy rosen's group he was saying well you know what if i say of course this coke is going to nourish me or of course this bagel is going to nourish me because in that moment that's what your body wants and i think that's where the pause moment we talk about comes in of like pausing and breathing and really asking yourself okay is this going to feed my why mm -hmm. i think that would be a more appropriate question because our mind can make lots of excuses of course that chocolate chip cookie is right. going to nourish me <laughs> why wouldn't it yeah. well and this is where you talk about the power of discernment right mm -hmm. be able to recognize like what's a what's a craving what's an addictive behavior um, are, like I love how you said, are, am I really like, a, I can't remember exactly how you said, but am I aligned with my why? Mm -hmm. Is this in service to my why? And when we can clearly answer those questions uh, without the, all the agenda that's, you know, in the moment driving us towards a behavior, you know, that's where I think clarity can come. Mm -hmm. So go back to the diet thing we talked about. There's all these different diets yeah. and we're always looking for that one perfect. So then what's your like, what's your perfect? Um, well, many factors. I mean, one of the things that we're going to do today is actually look at our genetic um, code or right. our genetic test to show where our predispositions for, you know, challenges might be. So I, I think taking that nutrigenetic sort of uh, approach, uh, addressing food sensitivities and finding out where we're stuck from an inflammatory point of view. You mentioned the gut microbiome, like even just asking the question, how do I feel after I have a bowel movement? We were talking to Spencer Feldman the other day, actually, he's like, if you're using toilet paper to wipe your bum afterwards, that's like you blowing, blowing out. Something is not right. If you're using multiple pieces of toilet paper, the food that you're digesting isn't working for you. And that's on a basic fundamental level. Um, and we'll have to go into conversation around, around that in more detail another time. Where but, everyone can listen to the Dr. Dad's episode. Or that yeah. one, yeah. 
But the, it's so fascinating to think that we're not truly assessing ourselves and how we're even digesting our food. Like you said, how we digest food is a reflection of how we digest life. And to find that perfect diet, we have to have some criteria, I think, that we can monitor to, to gauge whether or not it's working for us. Looking at your weight is one component, but so is looking at your energy, your, your brain function, whether or not your brain fog, you're lethargic, or your ability to recover after an exercise, your ability to be in a decent mood and not sort of lose control over the sight of a cookie or a difficult argument, you know. I think there's many parameters that we're just not taking into consideration when we're looking at our diet. So, with that being said, it's kind of like, what's the perfect diet? It, it, we, you and I talk about this too, it's the you diet. It's the one that's most specific and serving you on all these different levels. Yeah. yeah, and this I think is an important conversation as a couple to have because what's going to right. serve you is going to be different than what's going to serve me. But what happens is we're, we're eating the same, mm -hmm. cooking for everyone in the family, but what I've tried to do now is make adjustments even with our kids. Yeah, I mean that's that, what, that was the in, in, impetus. Yeah, right. like knowing one's a carnivore, the other one's a vegetarian, like yeah. okay, there must be a reason why their bodies are craving this particular way of eating and I can't yeah. mold them into eating one way mm -hmm. and so we have to do the same for ourselves. Yeah, because there's, there's a desire to look at, okay, what's the, you know, if we're to, to look at ourselves as an individual, what's my um, ideal body composition or like, how do I wish to see myself? Uh, for some people, that's just you know losing that extra belly fat. For other people, it's to to be fit like an athlete. Or for other people, they may feel really comfortable with carrying you know a decent amount of extra weight around them. Like everyone's got a different idea, I think, of what what that ideal would be like for them. And then you know, unfortunately, because there's such a movement towards you know having to look a certain way. There's, there's a lot of people doing, say, keto or paleo or things like this. And, and I think to your point of what you said before, we get stuck in these, I should do this, or it's, it's working for me up until a certain point, yet I'm going to keep doing it because I had results before. Yeah. Or ask yourself, right? like, how do you feel in your body? Yeah. If you're a certain way, if there's aches and pains in your joints, if, you know, you're losing your energy levels by midday or you're not sleeping well like what how do you actually feel in your body because yeah. like we said in the beginning too it's like everyone's set body way is so different like yeah. we all we come in so many different shapes and forms and everything and there isn't a one ideal mm -hmm. but if the body that you have in the moment is causing pain and discomfort then there has to be questions that have to be exactly asked. i mean those symptoms yeah. are really roadmap that that yeah. something's working mm -hmm. or not working mm -hmm. and this is where like obviously as, as physicians we're able to look at people's blood work we're able to assess data and go okay well based on what you're doing now or what you've been doing for the last three months these are your inflammatory markers these are your lipids this is like your over insulin. your insulin levels your how you're regulating blood sugar like there, here's a, some real data to show that that what you're doing is having an impact on your lab work, right? Mm -hmm. So why don't we pull up some of our genetic tests and take a look? So what are some interesting things that you found uh, in yours that you mm -hmm. that, that made sense to you? And then what were some shocks for you? Um, so the shock, if I could, yeah, it's right here. Um, those of you listening can't see this. Okay, but. well maybe, maybe let's preamble them. So what yeah. we're looking at is we did a, a test called DNA Power. Yes. This is the name of the company. And we like this one because it gives a very functional look at uh, a, a myriad of different genetic markers, but it puts them or lays them out in a really um, 
succinct, easy to read kind of way. So you, and then you can also look at the fine tuned details of seeing where in those genetic SNPs are, am I having difficulty, right? Mm -hmm. um, anything else you think it's important to? No, I think that's it. It gives you, um, there's different ones that you can do. There's the diet one, there's yeah. the movement one, the health there's one. the overall health. So your susceptibility to like Alzheimer's and these things. That's the brain one. Yeah. That's the brain one. Yeah. So there's so many different ones that you can do that just gives again, insight into your susceptibility. It doesn't mean that this is going to happen, exactly, yeah. but here's some tendency. So how are you going to support your body so you don't get stuck there? Yeah. And, and so just, just before you jump in, mm -hmm. the whole reason we, we wanted to bring this element in is because there is a genetic component. Um, that can manifest for people and yeah. there's also a lifestyle component there's a there's, a, there's all the other things that we mentioned right yeah. so yeah so I guess the shocker for me was um, not being able to metabolize saturated fats because mm -hmm. we were going to town with coconut oil yeah. the keto well, this is a good example <laughs> the keto diet right the keto diet yeah. yeah so that is a big one for me um, my body doesn't metabolize it very well so I don't I used to put coconut oil and like, in my tea yeah and have that every single day and just cook with coconut oil too so then since then i've changed into using more like avocado oil using I mean, ghee is still saturated too so that's something i have to look into mm -hmm. um i haven't actually um, looked into that in detail but coconut oil was definitely one that i decreased even though i love coconut oil yeah, yeah. and so you would actually get mad at me if i put it in your tea yeah like are you trying to <laughs> kill me <laughs> So, um, so that was a big change for me. And then the thing that I actually liked on here, and I can't remember where it was, but I had this thought that I wasn't eating enough protein and mm, that I yeah, needed yeah. to eat um, animal protein because I, I don't eat a lot of it. I don't feel like I need it, but this confirmed for me that mm. I actually don't, yeah. that I can thrive off lentils, lentils and legumes and all like of those. Like more your ancestral diet, Yes, right? exactly. It totally confirmed my ancestral diet. It was diet. interesting for me too, and I, this is where we, we suspect that Soren's probably more like me because my protein need is higher. It, higher. Yeah, whereas mine's lower. Yeah. Yeah. So for those of you watching, we could give you just a little, like this is kind of what it looks like. It mm. gives you a bar and percentage of um, where you sit with all the different markers. And then... So let's look at some of your other ones. Because mm -hmm. other stuff was interesting on here too. I think it's on this one. It talked about the salt intake and caffeine even. Yes. Yeah, so for me, I don't metabolize salt very well. And again, what I don't know in this test, if it's looking at sea salt, if it's looking at Himalayan, or yeah. if it's even differentiating at all. Um, so that would be a question that I have. Well, I think when, when that's, because mine's like that too, what I was told is that this is where sea salt or Himalayan salt is more important. And this is, this is really more in relation to table salt, right? which so, would be which a no big no-no. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and then caffeine was another one. I'm at like 50-50. So yeah. I, I can deal with it, but my body doesn't love it. And that, that, that's like, I mean, if you were to drink coffee, which you don't, mm -hmm. that would be like you're, you're maxed out at one. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And the same thing with lactose. Yeah. And your gluten, how's your gluten? Gluten, not too bad. Not mm -hmm. too bad. 38%. So what's interesting here is like, again, this doesn't mean this is what's going on currently. But if you were to perpetuate a very, you know, uh, 
specific diet that included a ton of these things in, yeah. you would much more likely to be developing sim symptoms, right? Yeah. And then there's also some genetic, I think, I think it's on this one or the next one, but it really showed like your propensity towards obesity. Yeah. There are specific genes that make you yeah. more susceptible to being obese yeah. if you were to not follow along, right? Yeah, exactly. Mine did come up that way. Yeah. So if I didn't eat the way I eat, then I could gain weight yeah. pretty easily. And this also goes over some of these nutrient deficiencies. And this is kind of what I was, what I was wanting to bring up with obesity, like, when you know we think of caloric excess caloric excess does not equal nutrient mm -hmm. re repletion doesn't mean nutrient dense mm -hmm. and in many cases there's some massive nutrient deficiencies going on as a result of that excess inflammation that's brewing as a result of you know carrying extra weight yeah right yeah. and so you've got some propensity to some specific deficiencies right Yes, so my methylation is off, meaning that I don't detoxify well, so B vitamins are very necessary for yeah. me. And vitamin D was a big one here. I don't actually um, absorb it very well, so yeah. I need to take vitamin D, and that, I mean, that's probably a genetic thing in regards to where my ancestors are from, yeah. and I'm just not getting enough of it here in Canada, so there's many different things that will influence it. My omega-3, I don't yeah. metabolize omega-3 very well, so like imagine people that are taking omega-3 all the time and then um, not you know the inflammation is still high and all of that so if you don't know how your body is going to process it and it, going back to the ketogenic diet I know mm -hmm. so many people that have done it and they do it like to the T but then they're gaining weight yeah they're not losing any weight and it's probably because they're not metabolizing their fats yeah that well so again it's just like more information to get to know yourself but maybe talk about yours yeah. now. I mean some of, some of mine was similar um, like my, we talked about my protein need that was more significant on on mine versus yours, um, and that so I'm I'm a Scandinavian descent, so there would have been a lot more animal products than there would have been say in your Indian descent. Um, so that was one of the big ones in the overall nutrition. Like when I went over this originally, I realized that like I'd do fine on higher carbohydrate, higher protein, higher fat. Like my body seems to do well with a wide variety of different things. Um, and yet the salt can be an issue for me, the caffeine, so annoying, right? <laughs> <laughs> the caffeine, uh, and then, uh, of this, of this decreased sensitivity to actually taste salt too, which is interesting. Right. And then there's this, um, weakened desire also for caffeine, meaning that in, it's not good for me to have too much, but also like my body's sort of wanting it, which is kind of interesting. Um, you know, the interesting thing for me in caffeine too and maybe that's part of like the picture here is that I can have, you know, caffeine even at nighttime. I don't, it doesn't stop me from sleeping, but what it means is it, I'm slow to break it down. So if I do drink it too late, my, my heart rate variability, my deep sleep, my REM sleep isn't going to be as good because my body's taking a longer time breaking it down, which, which would be a problem. And then I have a few like, uh, predispositions to certain B vitamins that, that would be deficient. But here's here's the other side of the thing that, that I think is important. We talked just about all the different things that can contribute to obesity and weight gain, weight loss resistance, uh, hormone resistance in general. And that's some of these detox pathways. And so my body is more prone to having an inflammatory response. So that could be higher amounts of interleukin-6 or uh, interleukin-10, tumor necrosis factor alpha, these little messengers that communicate or propagate inflammation. And so think about someone who's stuck in with obesity. They're massively inflamed, mm -hmm. right? To such a high degree that these messages don't stop. 
And so again, this is why you can't just look at diet and exercise as be all and end all. You have to address each person's individual and go, okay, you need extra anti-inflammatory support, you need extra antioxidants, what have you. And so mine, I had some methylation challenges as well, as well as um, needing more uh, phase two antioxidants. So what that means is in the liver, we have phase one and phase two mm -hmm. detoxification. So some people don't do well with phase two, which is the phase where it's actually making it from toxic to non-toxic and we're moving it out of your body. Yeah. And then in that one, so like some of the phase two antioxidants would be like glutathione is obviously mm -hmm. one of the most important yeah. ones. Curcumin. Curcumin, uh, alpha-lipoic acid. Mm -hmm. ECGC. Uh, yeah. And, and then also amino acids play a significant role in that phase two detox. So, you know, here, here's sort of looking at a predisposition and recognizing what symptoms am I present, presenting with? Because I know I'm more prone to inflammatory responses. It shows up on my skin. Like right now, my knee's a little sore. I played soccer yesterday mm -hmm. and I could feel the extra, extra swelling in those tissues because, you know, uh, the wear and tear on, on those joints. But my body's quick to express inflammation. So again, if we kind of go back track to that conversation around obesity is a problem of willpower. It's, it's like you're not you know, committed to the diet, you're not committed not to exercise, enough, yeah. all those things. And yet, you know, we just broke down a whole bunch of things that could be predispositions for us. And are those predispositions actually showing up as symptoms for you right now? Right. And that, that can be where you start making a connection and recognizing that there's a role for epigenetics, genetic predisposition, lifestyle, and getting deeper assessment on what's actually going on for you as an individual, right? Yeah, yeah. and then again, the nice thing about a family doing something like this is then you can support each other in it. So now we have certain things in our daily habits that promote the um, deficiencies that we saw in this. So for example, both of us didn't do well with our phase two, so we both take amino acids every morning. Yeah. We're doing methylators, we're just making sure we're doing these things, and they're just part of our daily habits now so yeah. we don't even think about it. it's not even something extra it's just what we do yeah but it's serving our genetics so then that then the genetics will serve the body yeah so i want you to talk about carbohydrates yeah. because carbs are the bad guy right <laughs> don't do carbs they'll you're gonna gain weight but you had an opposite experience right yeah 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 and i think this is um like a hormonal change in my body yeah. and all of that so we were fasting and doing you know I guess keto, I was doing keto veggie mm -hmm. for a long time and not really eating grains for yeah. a really long time. Um, and I felt that I actually was gaining that weight around my abdominal area yeah. and knowing that okay, I'm in perimenopause, it feels different, different times of my cycle, definitely more right before my period. So the bloating and everything that's in my mind, okay, that's somewhat normal. But then I could feel the way my clothes were fitting, like everything was different. So then I decided to experiment. Okay, I'm going to bring back some carbohydrates and you know I'm eating with my cycle so I'm yeah. definitely eating way more carbohydrates um, the last two weeks and not unhealthy carbohydrates we're making sure the breads we're getting are from a local bakery and they're organic and a sourdough and by increasing it though I've actually noticed that I lost weight and yeah. I feel like you had a similar experience in Spain yeah and that's probably because of that variation well, that's thing very different in Spain <laughs> yeah <laughs> But, um, no, I thought you lost weight in Spain. No, no, I mean, like, yeah. I mean, we ate a ton more grains yes, there. Yes, we yeah. did. Yeah. yeah. So now I'm bringing the grains back here and there um, mm -hmm. when it suits, again, my cycle. But I noticed a huge difference very quickly. Yeah. yeah. And you bring up such an important point because I think many people, unfortunately, look at the standard American diet um, and they look for these, like, breakdowns of proportion of foods 
not classifying the quality of those foods, no. but the proportion of those foods and how often or how much they should make up, you know, a proportion of your diet. And my goodness, how deceiving and ridiculous that is. Because the quality of those nutrients, the quality of those products play a considerable role. And, you know, we haven't really even dove deep really into the whole conversation around toxicity being one of the key driving forces for hormone resistance and no doubt insulin resistance and, yeah. and absolutely connected to obesity and weight gain. Yeah. Which the, I mean, that's a whole conversation in itself, really. Yeah. But the quality of those nutrients, like you're, when you're talking about bringing grains back in, it's not like the Wonder Bread, or no, <laughs> the McDonald's cheeseburgers. With, no. You know, it's like it's literally a three-ingredient loaf yeah. from a local bakery, and everything, all their starters are sourdough. So yeah, yeah a lot of yeah. Yeah, and, and so that's super important because I think, again, this is what gets lost in these conversations around ketogenic diets, low carb all the way, you know, all that stuff. It's like, well, we're not even in these like more health forward, because I mean, there's some amazing stuff that comes out of ketogenic diets, like just the, even the production of ketones. And we know that that plays a significant role in metabolic function and brain health, not to mention a ton of other things. But we also get lost in this whole one size fits all kind of reality. And then we start shaming ourselves. Oh, I had some carbohydrates. I should feel yeah. terrible, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, when we're teaching on fasting and keto, we do talk a lot about variation and making yeah. sure we're having that like feast day and bringing those carbohydrates in. But not everybody is. And I think we also get stuck in a certain way. So if you're doing keto and it's working for you, it's scary to yeah. bring back those carbs, oh, um, even though the body needs it at certain points. And also knowing the time of day. So that's another... Um, something we could probably do a whole other episode on, but when there's like a rhythm to your day and there's different hormones peaking at different times and your digestive fire is highest between like 12 and four, mm -hmm. that's probably when you want to have your carbs. Yeah. So you can actually break them down and they're not going to influence your sleep in the evening if you're having a higher carb meal in the evening. So there's different nuances that you can tap into, but still bring in those foods that your body probably is starving for. Yeah, definitely. So. I mean, we talked about a lot of different things. We brought in our, our, our genetic predispositions through our DNA test. Um, we talked about just how it's not this or that. It's not genetics. It's not just lifestyle factors. It's definitely somewhere in the middle. And it's a very unique experience. The more individualized, precise we can get about us as individuals, where we're stuck, where we have predispositions, what our inflammatory state is, what our nutrient deficiencies are. It's a complex discussion. And I think a lot of people, when they hear like, they might just might sound like an episode of uh, Peanuts where it's like, rah, 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 you know, like too many things to do, forget it, you know, like w where do people go from here essentially? Yeah, I think assessing first, like how do I feel? Yeah. What are my bowel movements like? What is my sleep like? What is my energy like throughout the day? These like simple things can give you insight into how your diet is actually either depleting you or it's serving you. Yeah. So just getting to know yourself a little bit more and then, you know, trying to experiment and maybe doing a DNA power test or mm -hmm. we'll put it in the show notes if anyone's interested. But doing testing like this can help inform your decisions so that you can see that, yes, some genetics do play a role, but yet I have control over how my body will respond. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is also one of the core things that we teach uh, is fasting too to de develop your metabolic muscle, learn what it's like to go for a period of time without food to see how your body responds to the excess weight that we are carrying. Like, mm -hmm. why are we stuck in storage mode? It's usually because insulin's stuck in that dominant, you mm -hmm. know, state. But I mean, the point being is that 
when we are actually working towards something because i think you know you brought up a really important point of where to start is that can we actually define do how do we feel in our body like who's spending time really taking a look at that and then being honest with themselves right because we have the power to make changes absolutely you know we as individuals can make these baby steps forward to create a tremendous change in our health mm -hmm. And I think when we focus on the ideal though, this is where we get stuck too. So we're focusing on where we're supposed to be. We keep referencing every morning we wake up, oh, I'm supposed to be over here. I feel bad about myself. So how do we like really also develop that, that state of presence and showing up each day, you know, put one foot in front of the other, do a little bit better than you did yesterday. Like any any sort of thoughts around developing a mindset like that yeah just one decision at a time so if you have your why and you're very clear with what your intention is if you do feel like you've failed that day in quotation marks it's temporary yeah. you can make a different decision in the next five minutes so not getting stuck like you were saying in this ideal of like this is what i'm supposed to look like or this is what it's supposed to be like but what's my daily decision every moment to moment going to look like yeah and so for you, how important is it that you develop a daily practice, you know, because and that daily practice can be different for everybody, but that can be also part of that starting point. What is, how do you structure your day, right? Yeah. So my mornings are my non-negotiables mm -hmm. and being able to like anchor into my body is really important and feel into my body because I am more stuck in my mind. So that helps me throughout the rest of the day to make decisions for me. And then yes. when I'm not, um, I know I'm not. Mm -hmm. Like if we're going out somewhere or a relative has a gathering and I know there's gonna be certain foods there that my body's not gonna love, I can make different decisions. I can either eat before I go, or if I decide to eat there, I know yeah. what the repercussion is gonna be. I'm not gonna get down on myself. I just know what to expect. So I think just being graceful to yourself is important in mm -hmm. that. Yeah, but so just, just to close up, I mean, you said something so important there. It's like you make better decisions when you first take in time for yourself. Mm -hmm. And giving ourselves permission to actually do that is sometimes the obstacle to address. Like, why are we not giving ourselves permission to take time for ourselves? So what could taking time for yourself look like as a starting point for someone? Yeah, it could just be um, breathing for a few minutes. It could be... A gratitude practice it could be five minutes of movement in the morning it could be waking up and getting yourself a warm cup of water drinking that and in those few seconds just anchoring into your day of like what do i want or how will my day be successful mm -hmm. um yeah yeah so love it so i mean more conversations like this to come and um you know so at, at the end of the day like knowing thyself you know, as we love to say, is probably your most important tool against, you know, offsetting any sort of illness that will come your way. Um, so, any any last thoughts? No. Yeah, okay. That's that. Oh, yes. <laughs> All right, so as you can see, there's a ton of different conversations that can come up around the changes that happen to our hormonal system over time and just the way that our physical body feels, looks, adapts, responds to life's ongoing stressors. Yeah, so it's so important to self-reflect and understand and have support in understanding what is happening, how your hormones are changing, and how your lifestyle needs to change accordingly. Yeah, so we wanna invite you into our masterclass program called the Metabolic Upgrade. And this is where we're teaching people how to fast, how to get control of their metabolic function, 
what ha- what's a mitochondria? What does it mean to make more energy in your body, to have energy to heal? Right. Mm-hmm. And especially that insulin resistance piece that we spoke about, and we really want to tap into that and understand like what is happening with my blood sugar levels and that weight gain around the abdominal area and all those things that we feel like we can't control. Yeah. So weight loss resistance doesn't have to be your reality. It doesn't have to be anyone's reality. When we start to really understand our hormonal system, what our body needs to do in order to metabolically become more flexible, this is a huge part of this journey. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So join us. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Health Ignited podcast. Be sure to download, subscribe, and share as we build this conscious community together. You can also find us on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, and our website, drsjensen.com. Please note all information on this podcast is not and should not be taken as medical advice. Please see a healthcare professional to receive the care needed. Thank you for sharing this time with us, igniting your health freedom. And welcome to the tribe. 